Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, hello and welcome back to the Balance Bond Podcast, Soul on Fire. I'm so happy to have you listening. So grateful that you're here and I'm excited to share this episode with you. So if you listened to my episode 201 just a few weeks ago, then you may have heard my husband on the show saying to me, you need to have Ryan Holiday on the podcast. You read all of his books. You are his biggest super fan. You should ask him to come on. And I said, I would love to have him on. Let's manifest it collectively with all of our listeners. Let's just bring all that good energy to ask him to come on. And I asked him and he said, yes. So here we are today. And thanks to you guys. If you manifested along with me from episode 201 from afar, it is such a good conversation. And it is just an honor to have someone so wise, so accomplished at such a young age and so accomplished in general on the podcast. It was such a fun conversation. I learned so much from him. And We go deep pretty quickly. So Ryan has authored so many different books, even by the age of 33. He blows my mind and gives me so much inspiration and so much hope for all of us writers out there, the way that he has such an effective, productive routine. And he's so efficient and he shares all of his efficiency tips in this episode, which I so appreciate. It just brings me so much peace and so much hope about all of us writers in this day and age. And all it takes is establishing a routine to just get it done. And I have to say, after I talked to him for this episode and the wisdom that he shared and his routine that he shared changed a lot for me. And I've been writing a lot more and I'm so grateful for that. So I think you guys are going to get a lot out of that. And it was very interesting also to talk to him at such a pivotal point in time. 2020 has been a rough year for a lot of us. There's a lot going on in the world. And Ryan is a student and a teacher of ancient Stoic philosophy. So he talks about... um, how history repeats itself. And we are not the only people in this position ever. This this has happened many times throughout history. Difficult times, pandemics, um, political unrest, dictatorship, whatever you want to call it, all that stuff has been going on. So it was comforting for me to hear from somebody who knows so much about ancient philosophy that if we study the works of 
great teachers of the past. We really have so much to learn. And I read The Daily Stoic every single day. I highly recommend reading The Daily Stoic every day. It is a book of quotes on Stoic philosophy, which is all about peace, harmony, the art of non-reactivity, written by Ryan. And um, he uses quotes of the ancient Stoic philosophers and then modernizes them. Highly recommend starting your day by reading The Daily Stoic. And there's a Daily Stoic journal that goes along with it. And then separately, he has authored so many best-selling books from The Obstacle is the Way to Ego is the Enemy, Stillness is the Key, and his new book, Lives of the Stoics, which I've been reading. And it gives like a peek into all the Stoic philosophers that he talks about in the rest of his books. So his books and the philosophy that he shares have totally changed my life and the lives of everybody who I share the books with, including my family. And something wild that you won't hear in this episode is that Ryan and I realized after recording that we are both from Sacramento, California. And I love that because I believe in, I believe that there are no coincidences and the world is so small. And we just never even realized the ways that we're connected to the people that we admire. And there's so many connections there. I also have a theory that all roads lead back to Sacramento, which is something that we can talk about on another day. But for me in my life, all roads lead back to Sacramento always. And I don't believe in coincidences, um, like I said. So that was a cool realization. And anyone who's looking to have less reactivity in their lives, less pain, less hurt, less mental anguish. And I can't say that reading and journaling is going to be the end all be all for you. But for me, it pretty much is. And I still have a lot of stuff that I work through on a daily basis. But when I wake up and read the Daily Stoic and then I journal and I meditate and breathe and keep myself in a calm headspace, it is the best way to start the day, best way to strike inspiration and creativity and live this incredible soul on fire life that I feel so lucky to get to live. So you're going to love this episode with him. I can't wait to hear how you like it. It is a special one. And before we dive into the episode, we have got to talk about mushroom coffee. So I'm obsessed with mushroom coffee. I'm pretty sure everybody listening knows that by now. And I'm not talking about mushrooms like the shiitake mushrooms that you would find in your vegetable stir fry. I'm talking about adaptogenic mushrooms, which are all about bringing the body back to homeostasis. So whatever it is you're looking for, for example, to be more alert, to sleep better, to wake up in the morning a little bit easier, to just give your brain that extra um, alert, high-functioning feeling that coffee gives you without the jitters. Four Sigmatic is for you for all those different amazing things. And you can use the code BLONDE with all of Four Sigmatic's products to get a discount, 10% discount with the code BLONDE. You can also go to foursigmatic.com slash BLONDE to shop all of my favorite Four Sigmatic products. So at the moment, my favorites are their Chaga. That's what I really like to add into my coffee because it's exactly what I need. Um, the chaga helps me feel alert without the jitters that coffee give me, gives me. It also tastes amazing. It has this like dark roast flavor, which is 
the flavor that I wake up craving. And then at night, I like to take the reishi or I'll do like a mushroom hot cacao, which is their version of hot chocolate, but with adaptogens and nutrients and all the things that your body will just soak in and use to bring itself back to healing immunity and homeostasis. So I think people don't realize how much adaptogenic mushrooms influence our immunity. So you can even shop by the immune system. So you can shop by benefit on Four Sigmatic. You can also shop by whether you're a caffeine person or no caffeine or whether you're on the whole 30 or completely sugar-free. But all All their products are organic and vegan, so you can shop anxiety-free if you are vegan like myself. And of course, I only talk about organic products on the podcast, so you can always be sure. So beyond the coffee, they also have matcha. They have protein powder. They have a bunch of different flavors of protein powder. They have skincare products. They have chocolate. They have ground coffee. They have pre pre-made packets of coffee. They have face masks, body butter. There's even a book written by Taro, the founder of Four Sigmatic, who's been on the podcast. And I'm just so excited for you guys to check them out. So you can trust that that Four Sigmatic coffee in the morning is literally everything. And I know that you will also love their protein powder and everything else that they sell. So use that code BLONDE for a discount, B-L-O-N-D-E, shop tag me on Instagram if and when you try their products so I can see and I can geek out with you over it because I get so excited. And now let's head into this episode with Ryan Holiday talking all things Daily Stoic. Ryan, I'm so happy to have you here. I'm such a fan of of your work and all your books. I've been reading them for a couple years now and you have written 10 books. That is huge. I think it's 10. I've somewhat lost track, uh, but I just try to... I, I mostly get very focused on whatever the project is in front of me. And the, the benefit of that strategy is that it tends to produce books out of the backside. Seriously. I mean, that is such inspiration. I love writing and I find it very hard in this day and age to focus on one thing at a time, which I definitely want to get into with you and ask you all the questions about. But first, I just kind of want to start from the beginning about where you grew up and what you wanted to be when you grew up. I, you know, I think a lot of writers had some sense, I guess a lot of people in a lot of professions, maybe very early, they had a, a very clear sense of what they wanted to do. I knew that I loved books. I I grew up in Northern California and I loved books, but, you know, obviously living in the suburbs, both my parents were civil servants. I I certainly, not only did I not know anyone that wrote books or, you know, did anything creative as a profession, I don't think I knew anyone, none of my friends' parents were anything other than like employees. I I don't even know if I knew anyone who was like an entrepreneur. So the idea that you could just sort of do your own thing, that that was a life, you know, it just didn't occur to me. And so it wasn't until college, I I was writing for the college newspaper and and I started writing articles about authors, like who I'd liked that it, it like, I think that was really the first time that I was like, oh, these are, these are people and this is their job. You know, I think it's different. Like, obviously, you know, kids now have Instagram 
and they see that like you are you like you have like this sort of insight and this access to people's lives that make you realize like it's almost a problem now like everybody wants to be an influencer because they think it's like easy or something mm -hmm. but like it, the benefit is at least you do have a different or larger understanding of like the possible life paths, you know, like right. when I would watch people on ESPN or watch them on MTV, I wasn't like, I could do that. You know, I just never had that sense. Yeah, that's so interesting. So how did you then transition into what you're doing now? So you're in college, you started writing for the newspaper and then... I know you left college to pursue this very different path. So let's hear about that. So I started uh, meeting these writers and, I, and you know, one of them, I said, hey, do you like, can I be like an intern? Can I work for you? And so I started working for these different writers. And this was kind of right as the internet was kind of transforming the publishing industry. So there was a lot of like new things that people didn't know how to do. So I was able to kind of figure out like some online marketing stuff, online research. So I basically just started working with these authors and and I built up a, an experience in marketing. And then I went on and I had a career as a marketer and I, I ended up dropping out of college to do that. But at some point, all, it became clear to me that all of that was about learning the skills and developing the relationship so I could be a writer myself. That's, I figured that's really what I wanted to do was be an author. So cool. So were your parents excited about this path? As you said, that you didn't no, really know entrepreneurs. No, no. they were like, this is risky. All. It was, I mean, like, like uh, when I dropped out of college, my, basically my parents disowned me and it was, it was like a very, so it was scary on top of then also sort of not being understood or supported. So it was, uh, it was like at that point, one of the hardest things that I'd, I'd ever had to do. I mean, certainly privileged kind of a hard thing to do, but it was, it was a hard thing. And, um, you know, like your parents want, their parents don't want you to be happy. Your parents want you to be safe. Like your parents, and I, now I have kids myself. It's like, you understand that your core job is like, I just have to keep my kids from ending up under a bridge somewhere. That's like job number one. So mm -hmm. when, when they want to take a, you know, a, a hard right turn with their lives, that can, that can scare people. And I, I found that too, even, you know, once I built up my, I, I was a d director of marketing at a fashion company and was doing quite well. By that point, obviously what my parents thought was not the, a determining factor in the choices that I made. But I found even that people that I knew had trouble supporting, you know, the decision to leave a successful, well-paying, you know, safe thing to go do something unpredictable. So you just sort of realize that like, nobody's going to get it. And the only thing they're going to understand later is if you're successful at it. Mm -hmm. So how did you find the inspiration to carry forward when you didn't have the support of your family or the people close to you to make that leap? I mean, a big part of it was that I just genuinely loved it. So there, it, was, it was less of a choice than a calling, I think. Um, but then I, I had some really great mentors who were much more supportive than my parents. But then I was also with uh, my now wife. We met when, when I was in college. So I also had someone like, you know, a lot of people think that like sort of being ambitious or being driven makes being in relationships hard or impossible. I've actually found the complete opposite that, that the relationship having a partner allows you to take more risks because you're not, you know, waking up alone in a cold sweat in your 20s 
wondering if this is all going to blow up in your face. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's so special to have that support of somebody who believes in you, even if yeah. it's not one person. What is what does your wife do? Is she in the creative field too? Yeah, so my wife now runs like basically the back end of of all of my stuff. So I just get to do like the part that I like, and she sort of gets to she set up the systems that run the business, and she she handles all the other stuff. So we've become you know much closer to sort of a a, a partnership. But, but, you know, sort of different strengths, different skill sets, diff- very different personalities. But I, I, I know for a fact that like my career would have turned out very differently if left entirely to my own devices. Yeah. Well, that's a dream that you guys get yes. to work together and that you have these supporting roles in the business. That's, that's my dream. Get my it's husband a dream, although it, it can also be a nightmare. Uh, you know, yeah, not that it's easy. I'm, I'm sure it's it's more of a nightmare for her than for me. Like, cause at, at the end of the day, I get to do the thing that I really love. Yeah. Um, uh, but but I think the the ability to sort of come together and learn that it's not all about you and that um, you know, that 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 this is more of a team effort has been was actually really, really healthy, particularly early on, because you know, part of where you are at that age is just, you know a little naturally sort of self-absorbed. True. That is very true. So now that you have all these successful books in this business, is your family on board and excited? Uh, yeah. I mean, now, of course, uh, which is which is always one of the tricky things, right? Is like, if you don't support someone when they're taking the risk, uh, it becomes very hard to ever sort of fully heal that wound because it's like, of course, everyone's on board when it works. But I mean, that's one of the things that I've really learned is that like when someone is deciding to take a risk like that or or do something, there's almost nothing you can say that will convince them not to do it. So what you really need to do is offer support and the advice that you do give should be about helping them do what they want to do. It's something I, I, you know, I think creatively I figured out too, oftentimes people will come to me because I, I do ghostwriting and I sort of produce books for, for, for different companies and people. Um, someone will have a really strong idea of what they want to do. And sometimes that idea will be totally wrong. And if you try to convince them that they're being stupid, you'll have no success. But if you can try to get to the core of what they're trying to do and then help them achieve that, you're going to be much more in sync with each other. And so mm-hmm. that's just something I've learned ha- having been through this is like, okay, you're not going to convince the person not to do it, but you might be able to direct them to do it in a slightly, you know, safer or smarter or less risky way. Yeah. That's really, that's a really good tip. I like that. So when you started doing this, what was your first book and what was the inspiration for it? And how did you get going? So I was a research assistant on a number of books and then I did marketing for a bunch of books. But the first book I ever wrote, I wrote a book in 2011, which came out in 2012 called Trust Me, I'm Lying, which is sort of an expose of how the media system works, how sort of influences is created. Um, You know, sort of like kind of pulling back the curtain about how our sort of modern information ecosystem works. And... uh, you know, it was my it was my first book, so it was sort of the first time I'd really done anything as me in the in the sort of published sense. I mean, obviously, I'd written online for a long time, but 
I think I'd started my first blog in 2006, maybe 2005. And the first time I was ever paid for writing was when that book came out in 2012. So it had been a long, long journey to get there. Um, And then once I was there, I was sort of already had the next book and the next book and the next book in line. I I was like, just not going to waste that moment. Right. That's amazing. So you wrote that book and then the next, what was the next book? So the next book I sold is actually the, the, my first book about Stoic philosophy. It, the order, the, how the books came out was a little bit different. But what I knew is I was doing this marketing book, which I knew would do well. I knew it would get attention. I knew it was the right one to get my foot in the door. But what I really wanted to write about was philosophy. And so the, I think the week my first book came out, I had the proposal ready for my next book. And The interesting thing about it was my publisher was not particularly excited. They wanted me to do more. Like what you find when you're successful at something is people want to keep you in that box for the same reason we were talking about. It's safer. It's more predictable. It's more obvious. It's less work. Um, So to want to transition from marketing to ancient philosophy, you know, was not, there was not a lot of enthusiasm about that, but it was definitely the right decision. And uh, so it's like, I feel like my career has been, in a sense, a lot of those jumps. Right. You've had a lot of trust for where you're going. It sounds like when maybe you didn't even realize where that was going to be, but you've just been following your heart, which I think is so cool. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's, a, it's a combination of your gut. It's a combination of like knowing your audience. So that's a, main, that's a thing that not a lot of authors have, right? For most of history, an author wrote a book, which they sold to a publisher who sold it to bookstores who then sold it to customers. You know, you have a direct, you talk to your audience on a daily basis, right? You put mm-hmm. up a post and then they, they, they comment on it. They send you messages, you know, you see what they like and what they don't like. And, and so one of the benefits of writing online and having an email list, I was later to social media, but I've been having an ongoing conversation with this audience for now almost 15 years and maybe longer. Um, and so, so I know what they like and I also know what I like. And those yeah. two pieces of data allow me to, to take risks, sure, but I'm, I'm not sh- like shooting in the dark either. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. So let's talk about stoicism, okay. a concept that has changed my life. And for you, I will say, I think this ancient Stoic Stoic philosophy was not accessible at all. Let's just put it that way. So how did you have the foresight to start talking about Stoicism in this day and age? So I got really lucky myself. When I was in college, I, I was at this conference. I was writing for that newspaper I was telling you about. And I asked the speaker, I said like, hey, what books are you reading? And they recommended that I read a book from one of the Stoics. And I read it and it just, it blew my mind and I loved it. And then I went and I was like, well, I'm going to read everything about this. And I went and I read the other books and they, they just, they just couldn't do the material justice. I felt like I I was like, this is so rich and interesting, but it's not being expressed well. Um, the, The original texts are amazing, but everything published since then is falling short. And I was really disappointed in that. And, and so when I, I sat down to write my own book, the idea was I wanted something that made it more accessible. A lot of the, the other books that have been published about Stoicism 
are for people who are fans of Stoicism, which is a small number, right? Or, or it certainly was uh, seven, eight years ago. And so what I wanted to do was take these ideas that, uh, as you said, people find difficult to uh, understand. And I wanted to change that. Like I wanted to pay forward the gift that I had been given by the philosophy. And I felt like the way I could do that was by, by making them accessible. Yeah, that's amazing, which you've definitely done. Well, thank you. So do you kind of try to live by that Stoic philosophy every day? Well, the operative word there is try, of course. I, I think it's, a, it's a, in some sense like an impossible standard, but ultimately uh, uh, like a thing, you never get perfect, but you can make progress. And so, yeah, I, I think the Stoic virtues are how I try to live my life. They're what I try to use to guide my decisions. But, you know, the Stoicism that I was trying to practice when I was 18 years old, you know, was was not the same as the Stoicism I'm trying to I'm practicing now at 33 with two kids in the middle of a pandemic, right? It's right. different. But the more I practice it, the more I study it, I feel like the closer I get to, you know, getting better at it. Right. So let's explain Stoicism to the people listening for anyone who has no idea what it is. Well, if you have no idea what it is, then, you know, me saying like, hey, this is a philosophy founded in ancient Greece and then makes its way to ancient Rome. That's like not what you want to hear. What you want to hear is like what I think the core definition of Stoicism is, which is we don't control what happens, but we control how we respond. And so Stoicism is a philosophy then that sort of focuses on what's up to us, our emotions, our feelings, our opinions, our actions. And it, it tries to tune out other people's opinions, other people's actions, whether something is fair or unfair, you know, whether, whether it's what we want it to be or not what we want it to be. But like, we try to look at the world really objectively. That isn't to say we don't try to change the world, but we have to start with the real objective, honest, unemotional assessment of whatever we're looking at. It's been so helpful for somebody who's in the social media business, sure. getting tons of opinions every day. Some of them wonderful. Some of them like, I hate you, Jordan. You're su such a terrible podcaster, writer, all this stuff. Stoicism has helped me. And your book, Ego is the Enemy, has helped me so much to kind of drown out, at least try to drown out the noise of the praise, which I love. Like, sure. who doesn't love praise? But like you teach, if praise you hold to such a high standard, then of course the negativity is going to affect you very, very deeply. Right. I think, you know, obviously anyone who puts stuff out in the world has to deal with what you're just talking about. But I think to be a woman and a woman on social media, it's just a whole other level that like... Uh, guys and regular people just can't understand. You just, you're just bombarded by, in some respects, the worst parts of humanity. But then you're also bombarded by some of the most tempting, sort of misleading, deceiving parts of humanity, right? And, and the Stoics were familiar with this. I mean, Marcus Aurelius is not just like this random person. He's the emperor of Rome. Right. And so you know, he's writing to himself in meditations. He's like, Look, are you going to praise the the cheers of the crowd? He's like, you know who these people are. You know what they do in private. You know, um, one of my favorite lines, he says, he goes, 
we care about ourselves more than other people, but we care about other people's opinions more than our more than our own. Meaning, um, not that we're selfish, but it's like we we value ourselves, and yet when somebody else says you suck, that hits us. Even though we we don't think that we suck, when they say it, we we go, are they right? Yeah. And so you have to sort of cultivate this thick skin, or or you're just at the mercy of, of whatever's happening. And, and it, it, your point is a good one, which is it cuts both ways, right? When everything's going well, uh, you think you're amazing, but it's naive to think everything will go well and be positive forever. You know, eventually trends change or people, you know, uh, some, some, something happens or people make mistakes. And now all of a sudden you're getting hit with all this negativity you you can't let that affect you because it it's not up to you. It's up to it. It's, it's just not up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I've tried to live by those virtues, and that's a book that I underlined so many different parts. And oh, I also I that. gave that book to my dad, who has lived a very. I mean, he's a businessman. He. It doesn't you know purposely live in the ego, but that yeah. book made him realize how much he lives in the ego and just there's so much to teach within that. Well, one of the things I wanted to do with that book is make a really big distinction between ego and confidence. Mm-hmm. So when people, when, when, when people hear like, oh, so ego is the enemy and they go, but isn't a little bit of ego a good thing? Um, and, and the answer is no. Uh, confidence is important. Ego is something different than confidence, right? Confidence is, is, is an accurate understanding of your value, of your worth, of your skills. Ego is this sort of artificial you know, belief in your, in your superiority and your specialness that all eyes are on you. So we can see how egotistical people, for instance, do really well on social media because their ego, first off, draws them to perform, to want to have an audience. But it also, it can appear like confidence, right? Like to the outside world, it's very hard to know that difference. And we often don't know the difference until that person crosses some line. And then you're like, whoa, what are they talking about? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so it's like you think Kanye West is this super talented rapper and you you admire his swagger and his confidence. And then you realize, oh, now, this guy's not even on the same planet as everybody else. Like, right. this is actually a really dangerous thing that he's doing. Okay, so I have discovered supplements that everybody needs to know about that I started taking about a month ago. And I swear to you, I have already seen benefits. I am obsessed with these supplements and I want every, every, everybody listening to know about them. So the brand is Life Seasons and you can find them at lifeseasons.com. You can also find them at Whole Foods, Sprouts, The Vitamin Shop, and Natural Grocers. And they just have so many different supplement options, you guys. So for those of us who are dealing with chronic illness or with the symptoms of chronic illness or chronic pain, or really anybody, because supplements are preventative medicine, then you guys will love. So first of all, you'll love their mission. Life Seasons believes in our body's own innate healing force and our ability to make life-giving health choices. They value life and it is their mission to protect and sustain it. 
All of their products combine the wisdom of nature and the progress of science, which builds the foundation of good health that empowers every single one of us to live life to the fullest. They take great pride and care in how they select, source, and test their ingredients for each of their supplements. So not only do they conduct extensive research on individual ingredients and develop formulas that work synergistically to deliver all the maximum potency, but they also put clinically studied ingredients at clinical doses into each formula. So basically, you can best believe that they're having a physiological impact on the body at a clinical level. So I want to tell you about some of my favorite products because I have been taking so many. I honestly requested them to send me just a little bit of everything so I could try it all out for you guys, but also because you know how I am and I do need, my body needs a lot of support. So I've been taking their adrenal support, which is a blend of herbs, rhodiola, holy basil, ashwagandha, vitamin B6, I've been taking their stress support, which is ashwagandha, GABA, L-theanine, theobromine. I had my dad sent the prostate one, which is really good because we're trying to just get everything in order with his prostate health right now. I'm also taking their digestive enzymes. I'm taking their energy support and antioxidant support. And what I love, 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 I think this is my favorite product if I had to choose one favorite, is their IBS, sorry, IBS Soothe Irritable Bowel Support, which is Trifala, which my Ayurvedic doctor has been giving me forever. Caraway, Slippery Elm, Marshmallow, and one other thing in there, Bifidobacteria. Um, Might not be saying that correctly, but they have metabolism supplements. They have supplements for migraines, for sleep, for sensitivity in the body, and so much more. I know you will love their products. They will bring you back to nature. It feels so good. Like I said, I've been taking them every day, and so has my dad. So I will keep you guys posted. You can shop at lifeseasons.com and check everything out. Just go to their little shop tab and enjoy. Now let's head back into this episode with Ryan. Yeah, reading your latest book, which is amazing, by the way. Thank you. And reading about the kind of mini biographies of each of these Stoic philosophers and seeing that way back in these ancient times, there were very tyrannical rulers. And we think we're living in this crazy time, which we are, but we think... I think a lot of us feel like, oh my God, how did we get here? This has never happened before. And your books remind me this has been happening forever. So Yeah, there's this there's this great SNL skit. It was like a CNN set and like basically the hosts are saying like over and over again, like, this is not normal. And it's like any student of history knows, in fact, that this is totally normal. Mm-hmm. That's not to say it's okay. It's it's very alarming. And we we are obligated, I think, as moral human beings to do something about it. So I'm not saying that it's okay. Right. But what I'm saying is that if you have any understanding of history, uh, and again, I think we can say this non-politically, Donald Trump is not the exception. Donald Trump is the rule, right? Like mm-hmm. if you you don't even have to understand history. If you've listened or watched a Shakespeare play, like you've seen that character before. When yes. you see, you know, police officers abusing their power or their authority, it's like if you have any sense of history, you know that this is what power does to people, right? Like you if you if you understand 
contextually where these things are. So I think one of the things we learn from history is actually a much better understanding of the present. Um, the Stoics were one of the core Stoic virtues is justice. So the Stoics cared very deeply about what was right, what was fair, about the fate of the more vulnerable. You know, Marcus Aurelius talks about the common good like 80 times in meditation. So he was deeply concerned with right and wrong, but he also understood that history was a brutal, unfair, you know, parade of dictators and and abuses of power and corruption and so on and so forth. So by having that perspective, he's able to focus on what he can do rather than what I think a lot of people are stuck with, which is like, they're angry, they're, they're despairing, you know, they don't have any hope. They're really, they're really just overwhelmed and confused by it. I mean, even like the pandemic, like the pandemic is obviously extremely bad, but exactly 100 years ago, we had the Spanish flu, which was a, a, a pandemic 50 times worse than the one that we're in. And so if you want to understand today, don't, don't leave CNN on for two hours. Go read a book about the Spanish flu or read a book about the plague. Yeah. And you can learn a lot that allows you to see this with both perspective and clarity. Right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So when you do read about the pandemic from 100 years ago and the crazy rulers, what are some virtues that we can put into place now to feel more at peace? Well, I mean, what was fascinating to me reading about the the pandemic in, in 1919 and 1920 was how many people, like they would have these different towns. So like one town would, would take the warnings about the virus very seriously. And then other towns would like proceed with a, with a parade. Like the town of Philadelphia had a parade during the, the middle of the pandemic against all warnings and against all advice. And like two days later, every room in Philadelphia's hospitals were filled. Right. And so you go, oh, okay. People deliberately not listening to experts is a reality of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to get angry that people aren't wearing masks. I'm going to wear a mask and then I'm going to be smart about the, the situations I put myself in. And instead of, you know, putting myself at the mercy of, those people's poor decisions, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, like the decision to send or not send, uh, my son back to school and daycare. It was like, okay, what happened in the Spanish flu? Well, people told themselves it was over early. They told themselves they had a really good understanding of it and they, they rushed back and it blew up in their face. Now that's not to say that uh, nobody should have sent their kids back to school. It's just saying, from my understanding of this thing, it helped guide my decision in a way better than the latest numbers from the CDC would, because that's just a snapshot of where we are now. I want to look back at history and go, okay, what are the what are the errors that people tend to make over and over again? Yeah, I mean. That makes so much sense. So much better than just getting angry at people. And there, there's so much anger and outrage right now. And that's, I know. It's, it's a hard place to be in. But reading even your book this morning, 
it was nice to know this has been happening throughout history and that we can choose our approach and we can choose our reaction. Well, even the founding of Stoicism, Zeno, the, who's the founder of Stoicism, he, he becomes the founder because he suffers a shipwreck, goes bankrupt, and has to start his life all over again. And yeah. in the process, he discovers philosophy. So I just thought it incredible that like, oh, bankruptcy. I mean, like, I know lots of people that that's happened to. And I know mm-hmm. some people that have been ruined by it and other people who emerged better human beings for it. And that, you know, these are 2,300 years ago, a human being was going through something that your neighbor might be going through right now. And mm-hmm. I just, again, I think we can look to the past and get some perspective and wisdom. And that's, a core element of the philosophy. Yeah, definitely. So do you have a favorite Stoic philosopher? I, I have different, different favorites. I mean, they're all fascinating to me. I think Marcus Aurelius is, I mean, just one of the most fascinating characters to ever walk the planet. I think Seneca is a fascinating figure in that he was kind of the most ambitious and, you know, he was very famous in his own time. He was one of Rome's, you know, most prominent writers but he's also a politician. He's very ambitious. And so I love the tension in Seneca of like his sort of philosophical ideas and then his like worldly goals and his job and, and how they were kind of sometimes in, in conflict with each other. So I, I mean, I love all of them, frankly, like, right. and, and that's kind of why I've dedicated my life to writing about them. But um, every time I pick them up and, and explore them, I learn something else. Yeah, that's so cool. What I love about Seneca that I was reading in your book this morning is that he was very sick with some tuberculosis and had to go away to heal for 10 years. And I can relate to that. I've been very sick for the last three years and I'm just getting back into life as I know it. Sure. To read that someone like him suffered from something so serious for all those years and then used that time so wisely to study and to learn just blew my mind and made me feel so seen. Seneca is a great example of that sort of aphorisms about the, the best laid plans. You know, he, yes, yes. he was, he was going to be this great lawyer and then he gets tuberculosis and that knocks him back seven years or eight years. Then he's, uh, he comes back and he becomes a politician and then he gets exiled for seven or eight years. And then, then he gets this great job working for the emperor then the emperor turns out to be insane, you know? And, and so it's like every time he thinks it's about to go his way, life deals him another surprise. And, and you're, uh, that, was a great, that was a great thing you said that it made you feel seen. I think what we get when we study the lives of the Stoics is a realization that they were people just like us, you know? One of the, the stories that I tell in the book is the story of Portia Cato, who's one of the the better known female Stoics. And what's fascinating about Portia is like, so Portia is married to Brutus and people know who Brutus is. Brutus is the one who assassinated Julius Caesar. But I love like, so from what we know, Brutus is plotting this thing, but he doesn't want to tell his wife because he doesn't want it, her to get implicated. And so like, I just loved even this idea of like a husband keeping a secret from his wife and then his wife is upset and she's like, how dare you? Like, I thought we were a partnership and then they do share it. And then, you know, I just, these are like human beings that experienced life just as the rest of us do. Yeah, it's so true. 
I know it's nice to know that because you think of them as these characters in history that are so different than us, but really humans are humans. We're all humans and we really, that's, that's what we have in common at our core. We think that the ancient world was so different than ours. And it was in many ways, and yet it was also exactly the same because mm-hmm. people are people. There's a, there's, I, I opened my book, Stillness is the Key about this, but there's a story that Seneca tells we get from a letter he wrote. He's like in Rome trying to write and he can't because it's too noisy outside. And he's it, describing the noise. And like, if you could change, you know, he's like, the carriages are making noise below and then the animals and then there's a police you know, the police are arresting someone and then the blacksmiths are working and then the vendor is shouting about a sale. And you're like, okay, if you sub these out and you put jackhammer, car horn, you know, construction, uh, baby crime, like all of a sudden phones ringing, it's exactly the same. And, right. and so I just love the idea that 2000 years ago, you know, he's having trouble focusing because it's too noisy. And this morning I was trying to write and I couldn't because there was a truck downstairs you know, and, and it's just like, life is life, people are people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you about in this fast-paced world that we live in with social media and just so many different things at our fingertips, how to focus and write all these books and be so productive. To me, it's about routine. I'm a big believer in routine. I'm a big believer in structure. And then I'm a big believer in the morning. So, you know, I get up early. Don't use my phone right away. I actually don't have social media on my phone. And and I do my hardest task, the one that requires the most concentration, which is usually writing for me. I do that first thing because I don't want other things to interfere before I can get to that. Mm -hmm. So I think people think like, oh, you've written these books. You must live like a monk or something. It's, It's really just, you know, a few hours a day, every day adds up. Yeah. So what is your morning routine? What's the whole routine? So this morning I woke up at like 6.30. Uh, my wife and I took our, our kids on a walk outside. We did about a three mile walk. I, we don't take our phones. Then we came home and I wrote in my journal. And then I, I went to my office and I wrote, uh, you know, for about two, two and a half hours. And then I had lunch and I read while I had lunch. And then uh, now I'm doing some interviews like that. And so, so like the day, like obviously I have other stuff that I'm going to do today, but like the majority of what I needed to get done today, like the big win that's already happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that makes sense. That's cool. So you journal, do you journal every day? Every single day. Yes. Probably for when, like six or seven years. Uh, I wish it's something I'd started earlier. And obviously as a writer, one of the benefits of writing is that I have, a, a, you know, almost like my work is a form of a journal, but really writing in a journal, not for publication. I probably started around the time I was starting my ego book. Mm. And what are your tips for people who want to get into journaling? Just start. So one of the things we people will go like, well, what's the best journal? What's the best time? You know, like they have a lot of right. questions. And I, I tend to find that those questions are really like a stalling tactic. Like get a piece of paper and write on it. Just uh-huh. do that. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can refine. Like one of, one of the things you learn as a writer is that like you can edit bad writing, but you cannot edit writing that doesn't exist. 
So if you don't do it, but if you don't take the step, you know what I mean? Like you can build on something that exists, but if it's all theoretical, it doesn't matter. So yeah, if you want to do it on a note card, if you want to do it on your phone, if you want to do it as an audio message, if you like, it doesn't matter. Just start and then refine your practice from there. But I do recommend, I have one, I have a journal called the Daily Stoic Journal, which gives you like a question to answer each day. And that's one of the journals that I do. But I also do this journal that I just randomly bought on Amazon called the One Line a Day Journal. And it's it's five, each page has five lines on it and, and like the date. And you're just supposed to write one sentence a day for five years. So I'm almost oh, four wow. years through this journal. And so like every day I see what I wrote on that day one year earlier. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So do you build off of what you wrote before? Or it's like No, I usually just say what I'm doing. So like, oh, okay. I, like oftentimes like, okay, like I just finished the draft of like my, my next book. So the first draft. So I wrote, you know, like finished draft today, right? This is a couple of days ago. But it was incredible to me to see that two years earlier, I'd finished the first draft of Stillness. Oh, wow. You know, so it's like, oh, wow, that how how cool that it worked out that way. Yeah, that it lines up that way. That's very yeah. cool. I want to try that. Yeah, I, I think th- you would love it. Yeah, definitely. I see that you have the obstacle is the way tattooed on your arm. Yeah, I have obstacles away on this arm. And then I have ego is the enemy on this arm. And then I, I also have stillness is the key. Oh, the, wow. the point being, uh, not that I love to tattoo my own book titles, but that I'm thinking of when I come up with a thing that I want to spend, you know, a year or two years of my life writing about, I want it to be something worth not just tattooing, but something that thinking about every day makes me better. Mm-hmm. I love that. You have good book titles. Thank you. How do they just come to you like with ease or does it take a while to come up? No, like, like, so when I sold uh, the obstacles the way originally the title was, turning obstacles upside down. And then it became the obstacle becomes the way. And then it was shortened to the obstacle is the way. So you kind of, you will tend to be, you have a vague understanding and then it's usually about refining and tweaking until you get there. Ego, ego is the enemy was originally going to be a book about humility. And as I was researching it and, you know, sort of starting to mess around with the ideas, that phrase ego is the enemy came to me And then I actually realized, oh, that's what the book is about. Yeah, I love that. So if people listening were only going to read one of your books, which book would you choose? Yikes. Okay, that's hard. Um, I would say, so I wrote a book called The Daily Stoic, and it's one page of Stoic philosophy every day. And it's designed, so you read one page a day, so then 366 days later, you've forgotten what you read one year earlier. So it's it's the book of all of mine that's designed to be read the most times. Um, so I maybe that one. And then uh, I also, I do a free email every day about Stoic philosophy at dailystoic.com. Which is, so like you read the book for a year and then if you want to keep going, the email is just a free book basically every right. year as well. That's amazing. I read the Daily Stoic every day and it's so good. And if there's ever a day that I miss it, I go back and read a couple, which is what I did this morning. And they always are so on point. It's like exactly what I needed to hear each day. I think um, there's this sort of Stoic concept of how you never step in the same river twice because the river is changed, but also you are changed. 
mm-hmm. right? And it's funny because obviously just this might ruin the, the magic of it, but what I did was I wrote 366 days and then I shuffled them around and I put them in an order that I thought made sense. So ostensibly the order is totally random, right? Like there's no rhyme or reason to it other than like I've picked some themes and then I organize them around the themes, but I wasn't thinking, Hey, like today is October 12th. Here's what I want to tell people. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but it's crazy how often I hear that people will go like, Oh, today's was absolutely perfect for what's going on in the world. And it's like, well, I wrote this five years ago, having no <laughs> vision of what the future yeah. would be. And what that is, is they brought something to it that unlocked something that, frankly, I had no intention of. There's a, a great Zen saying, um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Exactly. And I think what it is, is like when we're ready to hear something, we bring to what we're reading what we needed. And so the book yeah. is, is the beneficiary of that as opposed to actually possessing that. Yeah, no, that's exactly true. I just turned 30 on October 11th. And Congrats. So I was excited to see what's the October 11th one going right. to And I liked it. But the one for October 12th was perfect. It was like the mantra that I needed for this new decade of my life. And it's all about love. It was like the Seneca quote about love, basically. Yeah. And I realized that is what I want to carry with me into this decade. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, the Seneca quote is, uh, you know, he says a bunch of stuff and then he goes, but the core of it is if you want to be loved, love. Yes. And, yes. and uh, I think I connected to the, the, the Beatles lyric about, you know, the, the amount of love you get is, is, the, is equal to the amount of, of love that you make. And I just love, first off, I love the idea that 2,000 years apart, Seneca and the Beatles are on the same wavelength. I love that. Yeah. But I think, you know, just timeless timeless advice is timelessly true. And that's obviously also one of the benefits of writing about stoicism is that, and, and, and I, I deliberately try to remind myself of this. The reason the books are working is not because I wrote them so well. The books are working because 2,300 years of testing has refined the good ideas in stoicism to the point where when I present them to someone, they work. And uh, obviously, if I made up my own philosophy today, I wouldn't get that kind of proof until 2,300 years in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. So who are some of your inspirations and mentors in this lifetime? Like today? Um, so my mentor as a writer is a guy named Robert Greene, who I think is one of the great writers of our time. He wrote The 48 Laws of Power. He wrote a book called Mastery. Um, he wrote a book called The 50th Law, which I was lucky enough to be a research assistant on. To me, he's like like one of the best living writers of our time. So I've tried to you know model my career on him, and uh, he's someone I get a lot of advice and guidance from as well. I love that. Yeah, I I knew that you had interned for him or apprenticed for him when you were nineteen or so. Yeah, he was who I worked for when I dropped out of college. That's so cool. Where were you going to college? Uh, UC Riverside in Southern California. Nice. Not too far from here. No. I'm in LA. Um, I love that so much. So I want to ask you some of the rapid fire questions that I ask everybody who comes on. They don't have to be too rapid fire. Okay. Um, Do you have a spiritual practice? 
to me, stoicism is a spiritual practice. It's sort of a connected, it's connecting to a kind of an ancient tradition. Uh, It's sort of accepting that there's a sort of a higher power of fate or fortune that's outside your control. But outside from that, not not really. Mm -hmm. So do you meditate or anything like that? To me, the journaling and the walking are the meditative practices, but I don't like also have a sitting practice. Right. What's one question you've never been asked in an interview that you wish you've been asked? I never have a good answer to that question. <laughs> it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like have questions that I... like. One, I think one of the benefits of being a writer is that you say what you're thinking. So mm-hmm. I don't like go around and go like, what, here's what I really want someone to ask. Uh-huh. I'll just say it. But uh, yeah. yeah, so I don't, I have an unsatisfying answer to that one. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's good. It's, that's one of the hardest ones. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? I mean, I'd like to be five years further down the path of the, you know, the craft that I'm trying to master. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like my life and I like how it's set up. I understand that, you know, obviously fate can intervene at any time. So I have some sort of, try to remind myself, you don't get to keep things the way you want them to be, but I don't have like a five years, here's what I need to accomplish to be happy. Mm -hmm. Do you know what your sun rising and moon signs are? I don't even know what those things are. Do you know? Okay. So when were you born? Uh, June 16th, 1987. Okay. So, well, you're a Gemini. Yes. So basically that would be your sun sign okay. and then your moon and rising is depends on what time of day you were born, which we can always look into later. I think it was like 2 a.m. if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. So maybe when after this, you can email me the exact okay. time and then I'll look right. for you and I can tell Got you it. your moon and rising and your human design, which are very fun things to look into. Okay. I like it. If you're an animal, what animal would you be? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. What what animal would you be? What animal would I be? Yeah, I would be. I would. Pro- I I change it all the time. I would probably be something in the ocean, like Got a it. dolphin. I'm very. That's a good one. Yes, yes, but I also love monkeys and I also love cats. So many. Do you have? Do you have animals? Yeah. So I live on a little farm. So we have like donkeys and goats and chickens and uh, cows and uh, cats and a dog. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I love I love that. That's amazing. Do you think that living on a farm and living with like land and all that has been helpful to you in your quest for writing and studying? Absolutely. I mean, first off, it was obviously about the best place you could live during a pandemic. Um, you know, we got very lucky in that sense. But yeah, the peace and quiet of it, it, it forced, like, that's one of the reasons that we moved out there is it's just, it's been really great from a writing perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so nice. So you live in Texas, right? Yes. That's so cool. We love it. Yeah, I, we've been looking into that. Not necessarily moving, but just looking for a slower, more slower-paced place to live. That was that was the idea. We moved to New Orleans from California, and we loved it, but it was maybe a little too slow, mm-hmm. and so we wanted, you know, something. Uh, so then we moved to Austin, and then we moved outside Austin. That's amazing. So, what are your favorite foods? I have very sort of like white trash food tastes. So, you know, like 
like chicken fried steak, uh, movie popcorn, you know, like stuff you're not supposed to eat. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't have my favorite foods very often, but, uh, or else I'd be very fat. But I, I, (laughs) I, I love like, I love like garbage food, basically. Uh huh. Okay. Good. Good faves. Those are your favorites. Uh, if you could meet anyone who, dead or alive, who would you want to meet? I mean, obviously, given all that I've been able to write about, I mean, it'd be fascinating to meet one of the Stoics, like a Seneca or a Marcus Aurelius or an Epictetus. It'd probably be weird if that's not who I chose, but probably them. Maybe Lincoln. You know, I'm I'm fascinated with the sort of greats of history, so probably right. someone like that. What about somebody living? If you could choose someone living, who would you want to meet? That's a good question. Who would I want to meet that's living? I haven't thought about it. I know. I mean, there's endless options. It's hard. So what do you and your family like to do in your free time? I mean, that's been one of the weird things about the pandemic is it's like, it's actually just been pretty close to our normal lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we like the beach, we like uh, swimming, we like animals, we like being outside, you know, we like being active. So it's been, it's been nice. Yeah, no, that is so nice. We've loved it too. It's, it's a good it, time to... It, it's obviously a horrendous thing and it's tragic in so many ways, but I think a lot of people... Ha- it's also been a radical lifestyle experiment, you know? And I think one of the things we're going to be thinking of is how do we keep some of the things that, you know, we've had to start practicing? Um, Because actually it turns out that it's closer to the life we want to live. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Those are some thoughts we've had as well. What will we carry with us when this time is, is no longer our reality? Totally. Yeah, that's so great. So tell us what is on the horizon for you. What are you working on? You just had a book come out. Yeah. And you're working I, on another. I try to be, not only when I start a book, or when I finish a book, I try to start a book, but I try to be well into a book by the time each one comes out. So like I finished writing Lives in probably January and it doesn't come out. It didn't come out until October. But I was already well into the next book. So I'm always trying to write the next thing. And so you were asking earlier about writing 10 books. A big part of that is just showing up and writing every day. And it's kind of maintaining your fighting weight, so to speak. It's like, if I get out of the habit of writing, it's hard to get back in the habit of it. So I try to never get out of it. Yeah, that's really helpful. So, And the the daily email is a big part of that because I always have something to write. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the true definition of a daily routine. Yeah. So does that mean when your books come out, because I've I've had this experience being a writer and a blogger, when something comes out that you've worked on close to a year ago, is it hard to get excited about it again for you? Because you're already on to the next. It's not hard to get excited about it, but it's it's more like I'm really busy with the new thing. So it's hard to like take a bunch of time off from that thing to go do the other. Like, I think, you know, my first book, I was like so excited. It's like a book tour. I wanted to do all these interviews and all this marketing. Every book I've liked the launch less, Yeah, you know, because I, I love the process of making more. Right. And so I think it seems like the marketing is the fun, sexy part. Like it's the validating part, but it, it's actually in some cases, the least fun because you actually like doing the thing. Yeah, that's a good sign. 
Because yeah. I know a lot of writers who write the book and it's very miserable for them. And then they're so excited to get out in front of an audience afterwards. So it's a very good sign that you love the process of writing and creating. Well, the upside of the pandemic is that I didn't have to go on book tour. Right. Like I didn't have to leave my house to I go know. do events. How great is that? And I think it's that wonderful. is the way of the new world that we might bring with us is like maybe you can actually be just as successful in a book tour if you don't necessarily go anywhere in person. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this new book. So my other books are mostly about what the philosophy is about, right? And this book, I wanted to say, but who were the philosophers who had the ideas? How did they live? How did they live up to the ideas? So the premise is like, Obviously, philosophy is not just what you say, but it's who you are and it's what you do. And so it, it's, it's called the lives of the Stoics for a reason. It's not about the writings of the Stoics, but it's about the, how they lived and, and in many cases, how they died, because this can teach us more about the philosophy than just about anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting to dive into their lives more so than their teachings and learn about their ups and downs and how they actually applied this school of thought to their life. Well, and and I think their deaths are really interesting, right? Because the Stoics talk a lot about not being afraid of death, about, you know, preparing for death, about, you know, meditating on death while you're alive. But then each one of them had to go do that thing. And it's arguably the hardest thing that we do as humans. So, you know, Seneca's suicide, you know, Marcus Aurelius dies of the plague. There were Stoics who were executed, you know, and how did they face that bravely? Did they, did they stay true to their teachings? You know, how did their family handle it? I was, I was fascinated with that too. Yeah, it is fascinating. I love it. Well, we are all very happy that you are writing all these books and putting well, out you. all this content for us to read and learn from. And it's really amazing to me that you are only 33. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, I, I'm sure you get this too. People tend to, from your work, make up an idea about who you are. And you're just like, well, I don't know. This is who I am. So it me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's so amazing. I mean, it's very impressive. And I just love your work. And I'm so happy to have the chance to talk to you and share your tips with our audience. So my final question for you, because this yeah. is called the Soul on Fire podcast. Sure. What would be your tips for people to set their soul on fire and live a life that they love? That is the, I think that's the ultimate question. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, what kind of life are you living if, if, you're, if you're not doing that? I think you have to find the thing that you really, really love to do and you have to build your life around it. So we talked, you were asking me sort of what my goals were. I think a lot of people, they have this idea that if they make a certain amount of money or if they achieve a certain amount of success, then they will be happy. Um, not only is that hard because it's outside of your control, but very rarely is happy, happiness conditional on an external thing. What you have to find is something that you love doing, that, that the process of it is where you get the meaning. Then the results can be extra. And so writing is a craft that I love. I love getting better at the craft. That it's also you know, been lucrative or rewarding or you know, had impact. That's extra. But I love the puzzle of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is such a good tip. 
such a good way to live life. Build it around what you love so you can do that every day. Yeah. So I think less like, what do I want to achieve? And more, what do I want my day to look like? Mm -hmm. And I try to build a day that I like, thinking that if I have good days built on top of each other, it will create a life that I like. Yeah, that's huge. That's really huge. That's something I've learned in recent years is what you're doing every day, the way you're spending your day, that is your life. So what's the point of having all these? And of course, like it's great to have goals and things to accomplish, but what is the point if you're not happy in your day-to-day life? Yeah, and look, you're you're always always also going to have to do stuff that you don't want to do and there's going to be interruptions and whatever. But for the most part... Don't be working towards having a life you you want. Try to make your day as close to the life you want. And that adds up to the life, to a good life. Mm-hmm. Amazing words. Very wise words. Thank you. So tell everybody where they can find you. RyanHoliday.net, uh, the free Daily Stoic email every day at DailyStoic.com slash email and uh, at Daily Stoic on Instagram and pretty much everywhere else. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it. Okay, so cool to have Ryan Holiday on the podcast. He is so full of wisdom and knowledge, and it was such an honor to have him on. I've been a fan of his forever. Like I was saying, I cannot believe that we're both from Sacramento and I love the Daily Stoic, love the Daily Stoic Journal, love, stillness is the key, ego is the enemy, obstacle is the way. He has this gift of writing in a way that shares this ancient philosophy and ancient wisdom but makes it so modern and so bite-sized and understandable and attainable for those of us who are reading it in the modern day. So check out all his books and I'm so happy to have had him on. Just a reminder that if you rate and review the podcast on iTunes and send me a screenshot to jordanatthebalancebond.com, I will send you a free gift as a thank you. And that always means so much to me. And also thank you to our sponsor for Sigmatic, code BLONDE to shop all things mushroom coffee and all their products that they've expanded into. And thank you to our new sponsor, Life Seasons, which are the supplements that I'm swearing by right now that you can check out on lifeseasons.com. You can always join us at the Soul on Fire Tribe on Facebook to keep the conversation going and come say hi on Instagram. Tag me on your Instagram when you're listening to the episodes. I love to see you listening and repost you and put a face to all the fabulous people out there listening to the show. So thank you for the love as always. And I hope you have a phenomenal and soul on fire day.